You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome to the show. We're talking about the Pistons this episode with Dan Feldman, a writer for NBC's Pro Basketball Talk and the founder of Piston Powered. Two unrelated facts about Dan are that he's written in the Goodyear Blimp and that he doesn't like melted cheese. Who doesn't like melted cheese? Hey Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we're talking about the Pistons today. Let's set the scene first. Right now they're 31 and 29. They've been hovering around 500 this entire season, but it seems like their wins and losses both seem to come in bunches. Right now they're on a four-game win streak, directly on the tails of a five-game losing streak. What do you think it is about this team that makes them more susceptible to having these streaks this season? Well, I, I think more than anything, it could just be a coincidence. Like, with between 30 teams, some teams are just going to look streakier than others. Uh, but if I'm going to put something on it, and this, you know, I think there could be something to this, they're a team that, that has some solid shooters, some questionable shooters, guys who aren't elite at making long-distance shots but are definitely capable. And so when they're playing with confidence, when their shots are going in, this is a, you know, a very good team. When their shots aren't falling, they don't really have enough to, to fall back on otherwise. So I, I think a lot of that is confidence in their outside shots. You're probably not surprised the second question is about Andre Drummond, who's been the talk of the league. It's his fourth season now, so not surprising that he's taken another gigantic leap. But he's a beast on the board, and just with everything around the rim, again, averaging five offensive rebounds a night, but... The defensive rebounds are even better than they've been in previous years. He's just so dominant. How has he been so dominant at such a young age? The man-child is 22. I mean, it's really incredible to think he's so young. When the Pistons drafted him, he was a very much a, a boomer bust prospect, and, and he's been the best-case scenario of what they could have hoped for. I mean, from day one, Maybe, maybe not day one, day one, but very early he established himself as the Pistons' best player, and that said a lot about where their franchise was. And, and what's really changed, probably going back to last year when the Pistons waived Josh Smith, uh, but especially continuing to this year when they let Greg Monroe leave in free agency, they've made a dedicated effort to build around him, to put a team you know, of players around him who support him, who complement him, you know, there's definitely something to Stan Van Gundy seeing this as the, the next Dwight Howard. You put a shooter at, at power forward next to him, and that opens things up. You know, you don't need a power forward who can help on the glass because Drummond is so good at getting those himself. So the Pistons have, one, put a team around him that helps, and then, two, give Drummond a lot of credit for continuing to work, continuing to get better. You know, everybody brings up the free throw shooting, and that's obviously a big weak spot. And, he hasn't made the progress there that a lot of us had hoped he'd make. But overall, his game, he continues to develop. He continues to get better. Like, he very clearly works hard at this. 
you brought up my next question. I wanted to ask about the free throw percentage. I know it's very unlikely that we'll see much improvement, if any at all, over the course of his career in that area. But is that just something that you just have to take the good with the bad with him and, and just appreciate that the good far outweighs the bad? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of fans get worked up on how could you give a max contract to a guy who makes 40% of his free throws? And I, you know, I don't even know if he's at 40%. And I just think, you know, it's just nitpicking one thing because it's so easy to diagnose. You know, anybody can look up somebody's free throw percentage. That's such a simple stat. And, you know, it can be important, especially at certain points of the game, late in games. But it's so much harder to assess the other things he does well that I think, I think the free throw shooting has taken an, an outsized part of assessing his game. With the direction that the league is headed, with a lot of these big men stretching the floor and shooting threes, how important is what he does to the team? And when you find a guy like that, how important is it to just grab a hold of him and not let him go? Oh, yeah, I think it's a, a big deal to get a guy like his talent level and hang on to him as long as you can. Uh, regardless of his style or where the league's going. The, you know, I still think there's a place for centers. I think we're seeing the biggest change at power forward. That's the position that's really changing. It's becoming more and more important to have somebody at that position who can space the floor. But it's so helpful to have one guy, you know, you can run the pick and roll with, who can finish at the rim, who can defend the rim. And so he really fits as this modern center if you have the pieces around him and for, you know, for this modern type of style. And I think the Pistons are getting there with him. So, yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, he's – I don't know if, if I'd go as far as to say he's the prototype for what a center should be in the league now. But if he's not, he's close, and he's definitely somebody somebody you can build around. At the trade deadline, the Pistons acquired Tobias Harris. Right now, what does Harris bring to the table, and how do you think he fits into the system moving forward? Well, he, he adds some scoring punch. Really, the biggest difference with him coming in is – especially with Anthony Tolliver getting hurt. You know, now he's the starting power forward, and he's not quite as good a, a three-point shooter as Ersan Ilyasova was. So there's a little bit of an adjustment. But I put it like this, they lost a little bit of their comfort. You know, it's comfortable to have a stretch four who's a better three-point shooter that makes things easier for Drummond, that makes things easier for Reggie Jackson, uh, just helps everybody with spacing. Harris isn't quite that, although maybe he can get there. Uh, but he's just so much more talented overall, so much younger. I think the Pistons basically gave up very little to get him. Ilyasova probably would have been back next year, although I'm sure the Pistons would have hoped to move him into a backup role. Brandon Jennings was probably leaving in free agency. And you get a guy who's, you know, what is he, 23? And on a contract that's going to look decent as the salary cap skyrockets, very talented. You know, I, I'm pretty high on him. It'll take some adjustments to make him an ideal fit in this system. He's going to have to become a better three-point shooter, and I think he can. He's been somebody who's been streaky. But I think once there's a comfort level, and right now I say the bigger comfort issue is is the guys around him working with him, not him. He's done an excellent job of fitting in uh, from all he can do. It's just that. You know, his new teammates aren't used to playing for, with him, and you can see that at times where where they're just a little bit off. But I think in the long run, this could really work. I mean, how many times at the trade deadline did you see the analysis saying, oh, this team got a first-rounder for such-and-such such a player? 
but the Magic couldn't get a first-rounder for Tobias Harris, and over and over and over again. I think that was just was probably the biggest steal of, of the trade deadline week. As you suggested, Dan, trading away Brandon Jennings and Ursan Ilyasova, it seems like the Pistons may have taken a slight step backwards, at least depth-wise, this season. But do you think it signals that the Pistons are fully handing over the reins to Reggie Jackson? Well, I think that's a good point about the step back. And they did the same thing last year when they got Reggie Jackson for, you know, pretty much a couple second rounders, DJ Augustine and Kyle Singler. I mean, those are all spare parts. And you get a franchise point guard, a guy who was in the discussion to be in the All-Star game this year and somebody who's young and fits Andre Drummond's timeline. I, you know, I've, I've been very impressed with that trade, with the Tobias Harris trade, both in the micro and the macro. And in the macro, I mean, just the idea that Stan Van Gundy is willing to be patient. When you have a, a president coach, they're not always looking at the big picture. Doc Rivers, and you know, a lot of times they're hung up on, on the very immediate, what's going to help their basketball team the most that day, how, you know, they're too prone to those slight swings and overreacting to them. But when you can add talent like this, even if it means you take a step back, you know, I think that just puts you on such a better track. And more so than building around Reggie Jackson, although that's part of it, I think this is all about building around Andre Drummond. And Jackson is a big part because the two of them run the pick and roll together just fantastically. Dan Van Gundy is one of the increasing number of coach-executive combinations in the league. He's completely retooled the Pistons since being hired before the 2014 season. The only players left from that previous squad are Drummond and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So I want to ask how you think he's juggled those duties and how much he's involved in the day-to-day of the operations versus Jeff Bauer, the GM. I think, in my opinion, he's doing a great job so far. And are you a fan of that general dynamic of combination coach-executive? So I used to very much dislike it for multiple reasons. I just sort of thought there was a healthy tension, which might now that I say that might have been the term Mikhail Prokhorov used when describing how he wants the net set up, but a healthy tension between a general manager and a coach where the general manager would look out for the long-term interest and the coach would do everything he could to help the team win that night. And that would, that would put franchises in the best spot in the long run. That the GM would you know make sure that you know, if you needed to get younger, if you needed to take a step back, that he'd do it. But the coach would ensure that a culture still exists of trying to win, a culture of accountability, and that would be good for the team. Stan Van Gundy's turned, turned me a little bit on this. You know, his belief is very much that when you get bickering and disagreement between the front office and the coaching staff and distrust, that it's destructive, and I guess you could look back at his career at different points and, and see how he's developed this mindset. But that can be destructive and that they should be on the same page and they should be unified. And obviously the best way to be unified and on the same page is if the same person is in charge. I think a lot of coaches, and I think this includes Van Gundy to a degree, who want that dual title don't want it because they're so interested in, in running the front office but they want a barrier to getting fired as a coach. They want their job as a coach to be easier. And so I think Dan Gundy's done an excellent job of empowering Jeff Bauer to run the day-to-day operations and really trusted him. You know, I think they're on the same page. That makes it easier. But Dan Gundy, I wouldn't say defers because he has the final word, but he definitely allows Bauer to to run things, and then Dan Gundy basically approves it. Yeah, and between the acquisition of... 
Tobias Harris a couple weeks ago, Reggie Jackson, and also Marcus Morris. Sam Van Gundy's acquired a lot of the key players on this team via trade, and he said that he's using that model because he believes that as of right now, Detroit is not really a marquee free agent destination. So he likes to get a little bit more leverage and contract negotiations with these players to get them on his team first and then work out the contract. Do you think that's a sensible model for up-and-coming teams like the Pistons? And also, is it sustainable for them going forward? It's interesting. Whenever somebody brings up Kevin Durant, and there'll be a report that, oh, you know, this team's interesting, Kevin Durant, or that team's interesting, Kevin Durant. There are a lot of people who respond, well, of course that team's interested. Every team's trying to sign Kevin Durant. But that's just really not true. There are certain teams, like the Pistons, who just don't believe they can get those free agents, and they plan accordingly, for better or worse. You know, the Pistons' goals right now are are a little more modest. They haven't made the playoffs in several years, add on one more year since they won a playoff game. They want to get into the postseason. That's the direction that ownership has set. Like that's important. They're not gonna, they're not gonna try and get there at all costs. You know, like we talked about, they made this Tobias Harris trade that might have set them back this season because of such a phenomenal value. But I really think they want to make the playoffs. So when that's the goal, yeah, you can do these types of things. You can, you know, trade for guys who are already under contract. Uh, the three you mentioned, and I'd, I'd add Ersan Eliasova to that. You know. The Bucks just gave him away pretty much, and the Pistons were glad to take him. So, you know, when your goal is more modest, I think it's a strategy that makes a lot of sense. But if you're really trying to break through and become a contender, you know, you need to get a star or more. I think the Pistons are on the right track with Andre Drummond. The issue is how do you get a second star? Can Reggie Jackson develop into that star? Do you have to get more aggressive in free agency at some point? And really try and pitch somebody who's already a star. It's unlikely as long as Drummond is entering his prime and stays in it that the Pistons are going to draft high enough to to select somebody or have good odds in the draft. So it's a good strategy for right now for what their goals are. But if their goals get higher as they, you know, I think at some point in the next year or two, maybe even three, like at some point soon they're going to have to make the playoffs. And then I don't think they're going to be content just making the playoffs. I think the goals are going to get higher, but that's at the, the point where you'd have to reevaluate. And moving on to more on-the-court issues, the Pistons have the lowest assist percentage in the league, which usually you don't like to see for teams in the NBA, obviously, but I think especially for the Pistons, that stat viewed in a vacuum is a little bit misleading because if you break it down, they aren't especially high in percentage of possessions that are isolations or even in post-ups. It's just that it seems like Drummond gets so many offensive rebounds and putbacks that it just affects the amount of assists possible. So I wanted to ask you what the general offensive scheme is on the Pistons and maybe if you can take us through some principles that Coach Van Gundy employs for this team. Sure, I think you're definitely on to something about Drummond distorting it. I mean, a lot of times, and to their credit, less so this year than previous years, but a lot of times their best offense was just get a shot up and Drummond will go get the ball and put it back. You know, just avoid a turnover. If you can't score, if you turn it over, but if you get a shot up, you know, you're going to be okay. Uh, You know, everything in Detroit starts with a Jackson, Drummond, pick and roll. You know, everything is built around that. And so, you know, the ideal is to get Drummond rolling to the rim and set him up for a lob. 
You know, he and Jackson have great chemistry, really right from the get-go. As soon as Jackson got to Detroit last year, you know, he's throwing lob after lob to Drummond, and then they'd like to get shooters to space the floor around them. And that, you know, goes back to what we talked about before, that when you have Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, those are okay, streaky shooters. If you replace Harris with Ilyasova, better shooters, maybe less talent overall on the floor. So, you know... The Pistons are slowly trying to become a little more dynamic offensively. You know, one thing with the assist percentage that I think there is a degree of accuracy in that is the fact that at the two, three, and I guess maybe not the – well, I guess the four still because Tobias Harris hasn't really uh, put his passing ability to to great use so far in the NBA. You know, they have below average passers for their position. I guess the five, two, I mean, Drummond is slowly developing from a non-passer to a forgettable passer. But the ball has to be in Jackson's hands so much. He dictates everything. And so when defenses are able to to take that away from him, put pressure on him, there's not really a secondary playmaker on the court. And that's where they run into trouble sometimes. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, summer league star, he's become so much more than that. He's transformed into one of the premier perimeter defenders in the league. And he's clearly doing something right because he's demanding 36 minutes a night. How has he made those improvements, and what's the next step for him offensively? Well, the next step for him offensively is very simple. He's got to start hitting more of his three-pointers, and it's weird. I mean, you watch him shoot. His form looks nice. You know, scouts have, have raved about his form going all the way back to Georgia. And he's just not quite hitting shots at the NBA level that you'd expect. He's consistently hovered just below NBA average from three-point range, which is not ideal for your starting shooting guard. Uh, But he makes up for it enough defensively. It wasn't that long ago where Pistons fans were really overrating his defense because he was their first good perimeter defender in years. Like, they hit a real bad dry spell with perimeter defenders. But he's gotten better at that end. I don't know if there's been a player, and maybe some of this is just a little bit of coincidence that he happened to be on in the right games, but I don't know if there's a player who's defended Stephen Curry better this season. I don't know how much that means, but it's, you know, it's, it's a good accomplishment. It's a nice accomplishment. Caldwell Pope should be proud of that. I think a lot of it offensively is his confidence. You know, sometimes he looks great, and, you know, you can see him with this extra pep in his step, and the shots are falling, and other times, his shots are a little rushed. Uh, but, you know, he has talent. He's young. To the minutes per game, yes, I think part of that is his defense. And coaches, Van Gundy included, have, have always wanted to get him on the court for his defense. Uh, the Pistons also aren't very deep at shooting guard with Jody Meeks injured. So they've had to rely on him probably a little bit more than they would have hoped. KCP, whom you just talked about, turned 23 a few weeks ago. So just another example of this young promising core that the team has. Marcus Morris, not that old. He's 26, I believe. I think that maybe he's not as good as his minutes would suggest, but can you give us more context on his acquisition and his fit with the team? Sure. I mean, the Pistons, like we talked about before, instead of going for free agents when they're just trading for somebody under contract using their cap space that way. The Suns were looking to dump him to make a run at LaMarcus Aldridge, and the Pistons said, sure. You know, they they were so deficient last year at small forwards when they were starting Tayshaun Prince and Karan Butler and, and Kyle Singler. You know, I mean, they, it was just such a, a black hole on the team that 
it was so ripe for upgrade. And, and Morris has been a solid player. I think they would like to get to the point where maybe he's coming off the bench where maybe they can upgrade. But I think they view him as, you know, a fine starter. If he's starting next year, I think they'd be happy with it. He's a physical defender. He's a, a streaky shooter. He's a little more versatile offensively than they were expecting. So he's played more with their second unit, where, where sometimes he's sort of like a facilitator. I don't think they really expected him to, to fill that role, but it's become more important, especially with, with Brandon Jennings traded, where, where they don't have somebody who can consistently fill that role, including Morris, but he's another option with Steve Blake to, to keep the ball moving on the second, on the second unit. So, you know, I think they're happy to have him. And there are so many questions about Marquise with the Suns and his professionalism. The business have done nothing but rave about Marcus's professionalism. You know, he's a guy who, who wears his heart in his sleeve, who's, who's very blunt about how he feels. But the business don't mind that. Van Gundy's pretty progressive on that front. You know, he's definitely willing to let players speak their minds and, you know, not take offense to that. And, you know, I think it's a good fit. I think... Morris has found a coach who, one, believes in him, and two, is willing to let him be who he is. And Van Gundy found a small forward, which he needed badly. As we saw in the summer leagues and the preseason, Stanley Johnson is a very promising rookie. Expound on the progress he's made this season and where he still needs to improve. He's currently out with a shoulder sprain. You know, when he started the season, he was running a mile a minute. He had to love his energy. But yeah, on both ends of the floor, he very clearly had no idea where he was going. And, you know, sometimes that would lead to a great play. Sometimes he'd be way out of position. He's starting to get a little bit more under control. He's getting a little more polished. He's still pretty rough around the edges, but he's young. You know, you can see why the Pistons liked him. He plays so hard. He has a lot of defensive potential. And, and they've liked to use him a little bit more with the ball in his hands as the season's progressed. I'd say this season has been more about developing him than actually using him in a, in a way that's been a huge help to the team. Uh, but he has helped at times. So, you know, I like what they're doing with him, where they're slowly putting more and more into his game and, and asking more and more from him. You know, he's somebody who I wouldn't be surprised one bit if, you know, he made huge leaps into next year. You know, he's a nice guy to have coming off your bench right now for a rookie but I still think there's a, a little ways to go until he's really a player where you're like, oh, he's a nice player to have, period, and where you don't need the for a rookie caveat. And with Stanley Johnson's injury, Reggie Bullock has been the beneficiary of some playing time this week, and he's been very effective off the bench. The Pistons picked up his option before the season. Do you think he could be an important player for Detroit? Yeah, you know, he played really well in the preseason and convinced them to, to pick up that option, which I thought was a smart bet. You know, even even if you're not sure, it's nice to have a player under team control, and if you have to eat that salary, you can do it. It's not that big of a deal, especially with the cap skyrocketing. Uh, the Pistons have been ahead of the curve on being willing to eat a salary or two and use the stretch provision when necessary. He's played a lot better lately. Uh, he kind of fell off during the season and fell way out of the rotation. But he's, he's another player who plays hard, who has some potential as a 3 and D guy. And, you know, if he can hit on his potential, he'd be a great fit in the system. So that, you know, that's an important piece. It's, I guess he sort of signifies where the Pistons have, have gone under Van Gundy. You know, before they were just putting pieces together and trying to figure out if and how they'd fit. You know, now they're, they're bringing in players who, if things work out, they're going to fit. I mean, he's 
he's exactly what they could use on the wing, you know, somebody who's going to get in the, in the opposing players defensively and spot up and hit shots offensively. And I really like his fit if he pans out and if he continues to play this well. He's been so up and down. I'm not willing to count on that, but I like what I've seen lately. I just wanted to add that I think he never really got a fair shake with the Clippers. I thought he was always a, a good 3 and D player, athletic. They just couldn't really find that much time for him, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's You know, I wasn't surprised when he played so well in the preseason. I really thought, you know, hey, this is what the Clippers were missing. And then I got turned off by by how he played early. And, you know, when he, when he really fell way out of the rotation – I started to second guess that, but now he's he's back. So, you know, he just hasn't had enough time to prove himself one way or the other in the NBA. I think he deserves this chance to show what he can do and establish some value wherever that is. And as we said earlier in this episode, Detroit, as of recording time, is in the eighth spot in the East. But as it has been all season, the six through ten teams are very close together. I was wondering what you think their chances for the playoffs this season are. And also, more grandly, if making the playoffs this season matters to them in the grand scheme of their future plans. I think there are about a coin flip chance. I think the Tobias Harris trade might have set them back this year, not just because like we talked about the comfort level of having of having Ilya Silva as a solid three-point shooter made things easier in the short term, uh, and having Brandon Jennings coming off the bench. Uh, to lead that second unit. You know, he was an important piece. He wasn't a, a great player after his injury, but he was an important fit on this team. So I think that might have been a step back. Definitely worth it for the talent upgrade and getting younger, uh, but could be a step back this season, and especially once they avoided the Donatas uh, Modi Yunus trade, where you're not going to have him coming off the bench, where you're not going to have Marcus Thornton as that replacement scoring guard off the bench. So I, I do think the trade deadline might have set them back. But that's okay, and I'm glad they're okay with it. A couple years ago, when Joe Dumars was still the general manager, uh, the owner, Tom Gora, said, we better make the playoffs. That was his edict. And they didn't, of course, and you know, eventually Dumars got fired. And it seemed like that was very important because the, the fan base is, is losing interest with, with the team's lack of success lately. And you know the the owner cares about that. The owner cares about how many fans are coming, how many tickets are sold, you know, all those things. And making the playoffs is the surest way to get fans back on board. But the fact that he's willing to allow Van Gundy to take these small setbacks during the season, whether it's trading for Reggie Jackson or Tobias Harris, you know, I, I think speaks to the organization being in the right frame of mind. So yes, I think. Making the playoffs is probably important to the owner, probably important. You know, it's important to Van Gundy because it's important to the owner. But as far as important for the team's development, it'd be nice. You know, it'd be good to get that experience. But I think it'd be okay if they fall just short this year because they're continuously on the right track. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you if there's an under-the-radar story that people really in the national media haven't been discussing that you think is important to understand about these Pistons. That's a great question. Huh. You know, for so long, I really thought it was just how good Andre Drummond is, but I think he finally made people pay attention to him. He's gotten better and better to the point where, you know, you can't ignore that anymore. Hmm. You know, I I really think what's underrated here a little bit is how far Tom Gorris, the owner, has come. 
I think he had a really rough start when, you know, he made that playoff demand and, you know, that caused the Pistons to trade a first round pick just to dump Ben Gordon one year early so they could sign Josh Smith. And, you know, so Dumars deserves a lot of blame for that sequence, but, but so did the owner. You know, he set that into motion. I think it was a real rough start. And, you know, one, I think people underestimated how, you know, how tough a spot he had put the team in with these short-term demands. And two, I think people also underestimate how far he's come. I think he's really become one of the NBA's better owners. He clicks well with Van Gundy. They clearly get along. They're clearly on the same page. He's empowered Van Gundy to build this team. He's committed resources. They've up staffing, uh, scouting, you know, all, all through the organization. They've really committed to doing this right. And I don't know if that's going to work. You know, there are plenty of other teams that also do it right. But the fact that the Pistons are, are one of these teams now, even if they haven't gotten the results yet, you know, I think that bodes well for their future. I think the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings with regards to who's going to make the playoffs in those five through eight spots and who's going to be on the outside looking in is just fascinating. And you've done an excellent job of explaining to us where Detroit fits in there. So thanks a lot, Dan. Well, thank you guys. It was a blast.